You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. The power of water, global warming, climate change, and your personal health. Your health is very important. Because as you live on the earth, remember, you're living with the earth. It's not going to live with you. It's got a mind of its own. No different than if you wake up in the morning and you look out and see the weather. And you decide what you're going to wear that day. Hopefully, you're going to start your day with a glass of water. And all day long, you're going to take the water serious for your particular health. You need to be proactive and improve your own environment for you personally. And you are in control of that as long as you're willing to listen and learn from those who have so much to teach. Worldwide, 1.1 billion people in the world do not have access to good water. I'm finding, actually, it's multi-multi-millions. And we need to take serious some of the old statistics, excuse me, that there's much more every day. The earth is depleting in the water, and when the rains come down, we're not salvaging and saving it like the asset, like a savings account with reservoirs and canals. We're literally letting it run to the sea. But we on earth need the water to live. We need it in the air, we do, the air, the moisture we don't see, and we need sanitation that's vital to fight bacteria and disease. You need to drink safe water all day long. You're 60 trillion cells, and in each cell you have a molecule of water, and it's like one of our doctors said recently, each molecule is a galaxy of you, all of you alone, living within yourself. So listen to our guests each week, the concerns of our generations and the word eternity to come, that the power of water is, is vital, it's a species, it's endangered, it's life is in the water. So as we're learning from our guests and what they're willing to teach us, taking their very valuable time away from what they do with their patients and their occupational uh, requirements all day long, they're taking time to teach you and I more about our health and our earth and how important that is. Today we have a very exciting guest, Stan Brock. I am so excited. Stan is, uh, goes into the remote areas for the Medical Volunteer Corps and is a nonprofit volunteer uh, with Airborne Relief Corps dedicated to serving mankind to, by providing free health care, dental care, eye care, veterinarian services, and much more. We're going to learn a lot what he's doing to, for our earth to make a better place. And remember, we're no longer 100 years ago. Today, we're living on this earth all together. The power of the water is vital. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. And by the way, eyes are the biggest complaint all over the world for the uh, dry eye. And every five seconds, somebody's going blind on our earth. Let's take it serious. Replacing that lost moisture with Nature's Tears Eye Mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. The power of water, global warming, which means a climate change, but it's been changing since the beginning of Earth. And Earth is changing, and today our special guest, Stan Brock, has been watching that and giving his time and dedication to make a better Earth for all of us, not only as humans, but all life on Earth. Stan, welcome to the show. Well, I'm very, very happy to be here, um, Sharon. And, you know, I was uh, greatly taken by your remarks about uh, drinking water uh, in in the preamble because I I grew up in the... um, in the upper Amazon region, and uh, we used to drink water wherever we found it. Uh, but now when I go back there, I'm afraid that we have to be very, very careful about the water that we're drinking, even in those yeah. upper remote reaches of the Amazon. Now we haven't come so far, have we? I'm, af- I'm afraid not. And, uh, and it's concerning, and, and Stan, uh, thank you for uh, bringing that up, because... Um, it almost brings tears to my eyes, and I'm a female, I can do that. But I've been in research for 30 years, and I found that water was overlooked um, as a seriousness. We're letting it all run to the sea, and we're not ocean as individuals. We're made up of what we have to have is, <clears throat> excuse me, fresh water to drink for sanitation and more. And Recently, Stan, we had uh, people from World Water Aid heading with the United Nations and the heads, and we were talking about the word sanitation. And, and Stan, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm going to be blunt, is where is the bathroom? Where is the toilet? Where is the wash basin? Where is the flusher? They don't have it. If you say bad sanitation, that means just, just be blunt. And people having to carry water for such distance as these women and the children uh, for survival. And recently, Stan, I mentioned, I said, what if the person falls down, Stan, on the way back? You have to start all over again. Yeah. Because that's your source for the day, for family. And and, uh, people in the United States uh, just don't have the respect for the water that they should. And, um, uh, you know... Water is the staff of life, and water is the thing that everybody should be drinking. You know, I can honestly say that I have never had a bottled sweet drink in my life. Oh, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, but I do drink gallons of water a day. Oh, my goodness. You're, uh, you know, recently, and we'll get into you here now, but uh, I had somebody tell me that, you know, you've heard of computer nerds. Yes. Well, they're calling me the water nerds, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I have absolutely uh, dedicated my mission to it. I am into it. I put my income into it. I do it all. Let's find out about you. Um, let's hear about who Stan is and what you've, what you, where you came from and what you're doing today that's so exciting. Tell us about you. 
Well, uh, I was born in England, um, but didn't spend uh, uh, a whole lot of time there. Uh, and as, as a boy, I went to uh, a place called British Guiana, which was the only uh, British colony on the continent of South America. And uh, my father had a brief uh, assignment there with the British government. Uh, I had a ticket on a boat. It took us three weeks to get there. Um, and uh, shortly after I arrived, I heard about the Wafana Indians uh, living down on the Brazilian border, hundreds of miles to the south at the headwaters of the Amazon. And uh, to cut a long story short, I ended up there during the summer uh, holiday from school and never went back and, um, and lived there for many years before coming to this uh, country, the United States. And uh, we were 26 days on foot uh, from the nearest uh, doctor uh, where I lived with the Wapishanas. And, but it was pristine environment in those days, uh, uh, clean water everywhere, tons and tons of it. And, of course, uh, an abundance of wildlife, but a complete uh, shortage when it came to uh, health care. Okay, so you um, now let's help our listeners uh, educate them. Uh, so you, uh, as a, a young man, uh, decided to stay in an area uh, that you found that there, there was something there for you. I, I always call it kind of like an admission that you don't understand. It's kind of like I do myself, Sam. I often wonder where I come from because I'm so into the dedication of water on the earth to be discovered to save lives and the earth to be here for eternity. Um, you found that your, your mission and your uh, compulsion as a person was to stay in that area. How long did you stay there? Well, I lived there for uh, 15 years or so. Okay. And uh, it was an area that was um, uh, about 10,000 square miles of, uh, of savanna land, uh, just two degrees north of the equator, uh, totally surrounded by rainforest. And so now is, that, is the ozone then above there? I'm, I'm sorry? Did you have an ozone... Uh, a problem above there with a lot of uh, severe uh, problems every day because people became concerned of the ozone there? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I didn't hear about the ozone layer until I came to this country many, oh, okay. <laughs> many, many years later. But uh, the, uh, roaming those vast plains uh, were about 50,000 head of wild longhorn cattle Okay. These were remnants of animals that had been abandoned by the Spanish conquistadores and, uh, and several thousand wild horses. And, um, and, of course, in order to capture cattle and, and, and horses, you have to have cowboys. And the, the big difference there was that all the cowboys were Indians. Now, this is on the Brazilian side or the other side? Well, uh, frankly, at sometimes we didn't know whether we were in Brazil or whether we were in British Guiana because it was only a river, uh, the Takatu River, that uh, okay. separated the two countries. And, uh, but officially, I suppose, we were, we were on the uh, British Guiana side. Okay. And, um, uh, and so uh, we used to round up these incredibly wild uh, longhorn cattle uh, and uh, and then drive them uh, perhaps a thousand or uh, twelve hundred at a time 
down a narrow trail that was cut through the rainforest for 300 miles uh, down to the coastal belt, and we used to do that um, uh, several times a year. And uh, but there was no health care in that area at all, and so if you were injured or, or sick, uh, well, you just had to sort of make the best of it. Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, when you were there, uh, how old do you think you were? Oh, I was in my early teens. When Your I, early teens when you were there? When I first went there, yes. Mm-hmm. And you were there then about 15 years? Right. So what gave you, uh, let's say when you began this uh, remote area medical uh, volunteer organization, uh, how long ago did you start that? Well, um, I founded the organization back in uh, 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had wanted to form the organization for many years prior to that, but I was I was engaged in other activities that I now refer to as the frivolous era after coming to this country. Mm-hmm. Um, but the purpose of founding a remote area medical uh, was as an airborne operation uh, to take uh, health care down there to the Wapishana and the Makushi and the Waiwai Indians uh, where I had lived. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, by that time, uh, the political climate down there uh, in the um, 70s and 80s was, uh, uh, was not conducive to, uh, uh, to taking the care there. But um, uh, I founded the organization in 1985 and, and then found shortly thereafter that, in fact, there was a great need for the services that we perform here in the United States as well as overseas in places like uh, the former territory of British Guiana, mm-hmm. where I might say uh, we now have a very large presence down there as well, mm-hmm. although 60% of all the work we do uh, for the poor here is, is here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, when you're going into that area, how many people, what's the population of that particular area? Well, there are about, there are about 50,000 Native American tribal groups in in that part of the Upper Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, the Wapishanas, Makushis, uh, YYs, and um, uh, we keep an airplane down there all year round that mm-hmm. flies a free air ambulance service, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we've got thirty or forty airstrips that uh, that dot uh, throughout the rainforest and the savannas, and uh, our um, our aircraft picks up an emergency patient, on average, every 1.9 days uh, throughout the year. Wow. Now, uh, what about medical clinics? Were you able to uh, provide medical clinics on the ground to take care of every day, and, and unless there's an emergency? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we uncovered several years ago is that there's a very uh, big cervical cancer uh, crisis uh, amongst the tribal groups in that part of the world. And um, so although we provide uh, dental services and and vision services and and so forth and veterinary services, um, a large portion of our component these days is in the fight against uh, cervical cancer and its um, uh, detection, early detection, and, and cure. Now, is that men, women, uh, both? Um... Well, the, uh, the causal factor in 75% of the cases of cervical cancer 
is the HPV virus. Yeah. And, uh, of course, they recently discovered uh, a vaccine that can uh, prevent uh, the HPV virus uh, as long as it's, uh, the vaccine is given to uh, uh, adolescents, you know, before, uh, before they become sexually active. Uh, but uh, the strains, we are genotyping the strains of the HPV virus that we have detected amongst the tribal groups in, in, in that part of the world. And um, uh, there are many different strains which would not be um, uh, so that the vaccine that has been discovered would not be effective at this time against those uh, other strains. Well, the first thing I'm going to ask then is um, then, and obviously, they don't have good water. Well, uh, there's... Because if they were drinking a lot of water... Um, every day as a survival. Um, so wh- what's the water situation there now? Well, uh, uh, there's, there's plenty of water there, and uh, actually right now at this moment uh, uh, they're probably getting, you know, in the next couple of months they'll probably get something like 50 inches of rain uh, because it's the rainy mm-hmm. season that, uh, that lasts from... Uh, uh, the end of April. And, and where would the they get their water? Because obviously they don't have uh, modern methods. How do they get their water? Well, they just, as you said in your uh, preamble to the, today's program, that they've got to walk down to the creek with, uh, uh, with their uh, calabash containers or buckets, if they're lucky to have a bucket. And that's where all the animals and everything else is, getting, is going to get water. Yeah, but you know... Uh, we used to drink, when I was a cowboy there, we would drink the water wherever we found it. And during the dry season when we were driving herds of cattle over vast distances during the dry season, um, and the water was very, very scarce, we would literally scoop aside the, uh, the cattle droppings on the surface of the water and drink the water underneath. Mm-hmm. There, there was nothing really uh, bad about uh, that kind of uh, contamination of the water, not to be desired, of course, but there's really nothing bad about it. But what has happened now in the last several decades is that mining interests have, have got into the, uh, that region of the upper Amazon, uh, mm-hmm. gold and diamonds, and, of course, the fact that they're using uh, things like mercury, uh, to uh, uh, to separate the gold, uh, that's what's getting into the water. And that river is very mucky. Yes, yes. Yes, it would be. Um, now, number one, uh, I'm going to go back into the animals and stuff, what we've learned in time, is that if there's a lot of animals around and uh, people are not living uh, very hygiene, sanitary conditions, and with the air getting so much changing, um, and the climates and all, people will dehydrate quicker, and we cannot, they don't have the immunity protection if you have a healthy water. Uh, the other one, the mining going on upstream and around would create a muckiness and a silt that would even cause even further uh, problems to the water's uh, benefit. Um, so uh, now... Uh, is there any way to get a hold of some of these organizations that can dig well, do the wells, and get into wells rather than going to the rivers? Well, the uh, the, the, the government uh, now down there has has a program of um, 
of, of, of digging wells okay. in many of the village uh, areas. Uh, and so, although it may be a hand pump uh, to pump the water up, mm-hmm. um, there are wells at, at, at most of the villages now, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, tell us about, uh, you know, our, our uh, company is very much, Biologic Aqua Research Center is very much into the eyes uh, research for many, many years now. Uh, what, what do you do? You said you also uh, had medical attention to the eyes. What are you finding with people and their health of their eyes? Well, um, of course, in this country, it's a, it, in the United States, it's a huge problem that we deal with uh, uh, regularly here. But down there, uh, the problems with, um, uh, with vision uh, are essentially caused by uh, sun, and uh, dust in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. and so most of the uh, of the tribal groups that live uh, on the open uh, savannas, where they're more exposed to the sun than the tribes that live in the exactly. under the forest canopy, mm-hmm. uh, they develop uh, very frequently a condition called pterygia, which is a flap of skin that grows across the eye uh, from the inside of the eye. Uh, outwards towards the uh, the colored part of the eye, and when that flap of skin, that pterygia, uh, starts to uh, cover the the colored portion of the eye, it interferes obviously with the vision, and, and it also causes uh, a redness and, and general discomfort. Then uh, then we have a big problem with uh, with cataracts down there, which is also of course aggravated by uh, by sunlight. And um, uh, and then uh, people, just like they do here, as they get into their late 30s and 40s, start to have a problem with, uh, with close-up vision. Mm-hmm. And some of them have a problem with distance vision. And so in addition to uh, 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 corrective surgery, uh, we do, uh, do a lot of eye, eye tests and, uh, and distribute uh, large numbers of, uh, of eyeglasses amongst the population. Mm-hmm. Now, now what about I, and then the dental now? Um, and and the audience needs to understand that the eyes, when you're forming in your mother's womb, are connected to the brain. And once you enter the air you breathe and your eyelid opens, that's the only organ of your body that's exposed to air all day long. If it doesn't have enough moisture from the air and the conditions are not okay, ideal, correct for you personally, you could have all of those symptoms. Um, now the dental uh, teeth are affected, and the gums and the saliva. What did you find uh, when the eyes are not healthy? Uh, what did you find in the dental side? That, are they getting help on that? Uh, the the dental situation down there is an absolute disaster. Okay. Um, unfortunately, although we've been teaching dental hygiene uh, for many many years down there, uh, people don't look after their teeth. Uh, as a general rule, and so when they get into their twenties, uh, um, they start to lose their teeth, and um, uh, and most of the uh, uh, of the tribal uh, people down there, by the time they're into their forties, have very very few teeth left. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, what we're hoping to do, and we're uh, and we're at the stage now of researching the, the process to make uh, inexpensive. Uh, dentures, uh, so that we can teach the uh, 
the Amerindians uh, how to uh, how to make dentures uh, because the, uh, tens of thousands of people down there need dentures, and unfortunately, uh, they're just not available. In the meantime, of course, not only are we are we teaching dental hygiene, but we take dentists down there and. They spent most of their time, unfortunately, pulling out bad teeth that you cannot save and, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and trying to uh, uh, save the ones that still can be saved by, by um, uh, restorative dentistry. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and you and I will come back, and uh, we'll pick out some subjects that you really want your audience to hear that are very important to you personally and what you've been doing. Uh, we're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist for Dry Eyes, and we'll be right back. World Talk Radio. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. You're listening to the Sharon Kleiner Hour, The Power of Water, Global Warming and Your Health. You know, there's something to improve your own personal environment wherever you go, and these health education programs are so important to you to live here and you're being, you being proactive and your own preservation. And today we're listening to uh, being educated by Stan Brock about he's the founder of a, of a group, a foundation of people that go into the remote areas of British Ghana and bordering the Brazilian, the country of Brazil, in the Amazon and trying to help native Indians who've been there for probably thousands of years live a more a better life and more modern and that's almost strange to say. Stan, isn't that strange to say modern? <laughs> well, uh things have changed in in many ways since I went there uh in the nineteen fifties. Um uh it's now possible to drive a Jeep uh for fifteen hours from the coastal Atlantic coast uh, to get down there to where the uh, uh, these tribal groups live, and uh, the government has done an awful lot to uh, uh, to assist the uh, the Amerindian population there. Mm-hmm. But it's still very much a hunting and gathering existence uh, for these people, and uh, unfortunately there are no jobs in, in 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 that area to speak of. There used to be tens of thousands of uh, of, of cattle and horses that live there, but uh, those animals have largely disappeared. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, were there, let's take, have a picture of what we're thinking about here. There were people, if they were doing any business at all, they're normal. They, there are there people there that are leaders of the tribe, and and they're 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 responsible, or they're the leaders where people will follow their example to better health. 
um, the, in our country of America, uh, the businesses are so concerned always about the better health of their of the people working and the better health of life, and they contribute by the millions our businesses in America to make the world better, but in our country too. Do they have a way there that you have recognized that their their leadership is very much helping you to organize people and get their thinking changed about how to take better care of themselves? Well, yes, uh, I've, I've noticed that in, uh, in 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 recent years. You know, there are are elected uh, uh, tribal leaders at all of the villages, mm-hmm. and. Um, uh, like every uh, elected official, they, they, they vary, in, vary in their interests, but uh, um, they, every, everybody is concerned about the what-if scenario down there. Um, if you get in an accident, fall out of a tree, uh, get injured, how can you travel the vast distances to where the nearest uh, medical post is? Right, and uh, that's the reason why we keep an aircraft and a, and a pilot down there mm-hmm. all the year round, um, uh, flying these emergency cases from the villages uh, to the nearest source of uh, of, of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something about veterinarian services, the animals. What have you done with the help of the animals that they have there? Well, um, there still are uh, a, a few thousand head of cattle. Uh, living in that region, nothing like the vast herds that were there when I first went there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, remote area medical uh, takes uh, our veterinary teams down there uh, periodically, and we've been holding workshops to, uh, uh, to train uh, local people in animal husbandry mm-hmm. and how to look after their animals. Um, we we did a study uh, for the government um, some ten years ago uh, to prove that uh, that foot and mouth disease, the dreaded foot and mouth disease, did not exist in uh, in in Guyana, although it's endemic across the border in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And um, in the next few months, uh, another veterinary team from Remote Area Medical will go down there uh, to uh, analyze the problem of. Uh, equine infectious anemia and another uh, flyborne disease, uh, trypanosomiasis, mm-hmm. which has decimated the horse population there mm. uh, in the last several decades. And what do you think the cause of that? Well, um, uh, they're both flyborne diseases, and uh, equine infectious anemia is spread by um, horse flies. I was, yeah. And, um, uh, unfortunately, there is no cure for uh, equine infectious anemia, um, and uh, so we are going to have a team down there in the next couple of months to uh, to find out just how prevalent it is. But we think it is probably extremely prevalent. Uh, interestingly enough, um, uh, everybody's heard about the, the the vast numbers of wild horses here in the United States out there on the uh, Nevada range mm-hmm. and other western states where, where they're in grossly overstocked. There's mm-hmm. just too many of these animals and huge numbers of them that are being held in uh, government compounds uh, by the, the um, Bureau of Land Management. Now, we would like to move several hundred 
of those um, uh, wild horses uh, from here in the United States where, there, where there's just too many of them uh, down to that area where there's too few of them and, uh, and see if we can't revive the livestock industry mm-hmm. so that the uh, Amerindian population down there uh, will have uh, jobs for the future. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the number one trade, let's say, uh, out in the uh, remote area? Do they have a trade that they can sell something to the rest of the world somewhere, someplace else other than to themselves? Well, of course, it used to be uh, the livestock industry, which uh, is now in, in terrible disarray. But um, uh, they... They're growing um, a certain amount of uh, peanuts and, uh, and, okay. and cashew uh, nuts. Again, this is an area that, um, that we're uh, working in, uh, developing uh, animal husbandry and agricultural projects uh, for the Indians down there mm-hmm. so that they will have some uh, future in terms of uh, employment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and feel like they're every day doing something other than just exist uh, because there's something about working and, and doing something to offer your talents. And anywhere in the world, I wouldn't care if you're in a cave, you, wanna, you, you have an instinct as a person and as a species, as a human, to want to offer something, even if it's just to yourself, to use your talent and feel good about yourself other than just surviving. Well, do they, do they, uh, is there anything that uh, our listeners would recognize? Let's say you said they uh, are growing peanuts and some different nuts. Are they doing anything else that might be recognizable that they're doing as an occupation? Well, the, the problem, uh, Sharon, is that, the, uh, is that the soil there on the open savannas is extremely poor okay. and mineral deficient. Now, the uh, the... The lives of these Indian tribal groups down there is, is one of shifting cultivation. They go into the surrounding rainforest, uh, they cut down two or three acres, they burn it off, and they plant one uh, crop of uh, cassava, uh, the staple food of the, uh, of the Amerindian Amazonian tribes. Uh, they'll plant a few other things like bananas and pineapple, Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the next and, and and so this is their livelihood, uh, one of shifting cultivation and of course a certain amount of hunting uh, mm-hmm. with their bows and arrows. Mm-hmm. But um, what we want to uh, uh, get moving down there is uh, soil improvement without piling tons of fertilizer and chemicals onto the soil and 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 generate. Uh, uh, organic uh, farming on these oh. vast thousands and thousands of square miles of open savanna. Now, this is a real challenge. Boy, that would be. Now, the first thing I'm going to ask, because I've been studying for so many years, uh, and if you can't answer, uh, that's okay. What type of, how, how would we picture the soil? Is it, uh, is it uh, heavy clay? Uh, is it um, dark, muddy? Uh, is it very loose? What type of soil is it? Uh, it's it's largely a combination of white sand, white and uh, and a red gravel called laterite, which is very high in iron. Uh, so their com- soils are commonly uh, a white sandy, gravelly red tone, mixed up. Uh, and so, how do you even till it? Well, 
uh, what you what you have is you have you have these vast reefs of, of white sand area, uh, which is covered in very very sparse uh, grass called Trachypogon plumosus, mm-hmm. uh, which has very very little feed value, and then you have upland areas which are largely uh, gravel and uh, and quartz and this red uh, laterite. Uh, so the lower areas are white sand, the upper areas are quartz and, uh, uh, and red laterite. And, and so uh, nothing really grows there except this uh, sparse uh, bunch uh, grass, the Trachypogon plumosus. And from a, a livestock standpoint, you can only support 10 head of cattle uh, to the square mile. My, I hadn't, I mean, glad we're discussing this because I have a, you know, that's something we have to learn as we listen to you that the earth is as is, is humans are, the soils are so different and people trying to live in their home, whether they were born and live there for, for their generations, don't always have a choice of how to survive. Um, now, before we go, I want you to uh, tell us your website so people will be able to go and learn more about you. Yes. What, what is your website address? Our website is www.ramusa.org, ramusa.org, and 60% of all the work Remote Area Medical does is right here in the United States among the poor, uh, providing free health care, and, um, uh, and we're trying to expand our services clear across the United States. Now, have you gone over before we leave to the Louisiana, uh, different groups that have been there for so long, uh, along the Mississippi, I think it is? Oh, oh yes. We I, re- I was going to say, I, I bet you have. Yeah, we responded to the uh, Katrina disaster, and we have oh. there several times. Um, and uh, our program treats te- thousands and thousands of people with free dental care and free vision. Oh. But uh, yeah, that's all on our website. Okay. And uh, your mission statement is what? Our mission statement is, a, is we are an airborne uh, band of volunteers providing free health and veterinary care uh, with no paid employees. We're an all-volunteer organization. We've had over 36,000 volunteers in the field, and we've treated hundreds of thousands of patients, um, many, many of them here in the United States, free of charge. Mike, and then your dream, it says, is to have a comprehensive center for, in other words, to have flying hospitals uh, to fly in and be able to take care of, of uh, situations that have had uh, a disaster or need everyday help. Um, and I wish you well. You are something else, Dan. You, God had a plan um, for you, and I, I, I can just see you every day getting up with your vision, and people are definitely sharing it with you. Well, thank you very much. Sir. I want to thank you for joining us today. Have a nice day. And you too, Sharon, and the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, you learned, listeners, about what you can do also to pay forward. Um, uh, In other words, you do something good, somebody else will be part of that. And when somebody knows you care and you will share, it's not for you. It's always for what's out beyond you. 
And maybe we call that courtesy. Uh, we call that giving our lives to somebody else. It, even if we have at bad times ourselves, we can still give of ourselves. It always doesn't have to be money. It could be your moment, your time, your embrace yeah, somebody else's life. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we're going to come back with another exciting guest from Texas, David Elkowitz, who's going to be discussing the hot springs and the famous Rio Grande River and the Big Bend Mountains of, uh, and the desert there in Texas. I think we're going to enjoy Earth thinking there. We're going to take a moment with our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed. We'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. David, thank you for joining us again. You are welcome. Glad yeah, it was to be nice here. of you to take some time again. Uh, we weren't able to get as much in uh, before, and... Uh, I wanted to ask you um, uh, to, again, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about you, and uh, then we'll go into some of the education you're going to offer us today about the wild game animals uh, there. Um, I mean, they're, they're about the park, the Big Bend Mountain Desert Parks there. You bet. Would you like me to start? You About yourself a little bit. Well, I'm the, uh, the head of the interpretation or... Uh, Education services here at Big Bend National Park. We are located mm -hmm. in, in southwest Texas. It's approximately an 800,000 acre park with great variety, both in terms of elevation and environments and also the, the types of things people might see here. Mm -hmm. All right. And you've been there how long? I've been here on and off for about 23 years. I oh, was my here goodness. early in my career and I left in the middle for about a dozen years. Then I came back about six years ago. Now, where are you originally from? Uh, originally, I was uh, up in New England. Okay, because you don't have that Texas accent. <laughs> no. I have a lot of friends in Texas, <laughs> and Especially, we love Texas. Uh, yeah, we do, too. We love Texas. Um, well, tell us a little bit about uh, the three parks in one, uh, the, the Big Bend's Mountain Desert River. Uh, you have hot springs, which, of course, our passion on this show is anything to do with water. Uh, tell us about your hot springs first. Well, the hot springs are, are accessible to everybody, and they're open to the public. They're they're uh, no charge. They're part of the, the resource. They're part of the visitor facility here. They're right on the Rio Grande. They're in a, a cement basin that used to be part of a resort back in the early 1900s before this became a national park. And today, anybody that comes here is welcome to use them. The only time they're not available is when the Rio Grande is up considerably from high rains. They go underwater. Uh -huh. That is the, the not the majority of the time. So your parks, uh, the, the lodges, uh, the lodges also have a lot of water around them. The I'm sorry. The lodges? Do they still have lodges? 
Lodges, I'm sorry, the connection was off. I'm sorry, that's me. Uh, uh, there the, is not Lodges, right. At the hot spring, there is a lodge okay. in the center of the park. Okay, in the center of the park. That is available for the public. It's not too far from the hot springs. And uh, I bet you have a lot of people wanting to come there because uh, the Rio Grande has always been a site where a lot of people from all over the world want to come and visit. You bet. Yeah, uh, the Rio Grande has you know a long history. It's in lots of books. It's storied. It's exactly. the international border. Right. Uh, it does attract people both you know from a recreation standpoint, which is which is kayaking and, and canoeing and rafting, mm-hmm. and also just people that just want to see it. Now in the Rio Grande, I just is, I got to ask this question: Is it year round uh, kind of mucky, or is it just seasonal? It's a good question, and it varies a lot with the current weather. Right after rains, it tends to have a lot more. Um, silt or sand in it from mm-hmm. picks from, up from because it's not off. a very deep river is it it is not very deep it, it has mm-hmm. pockets that are in the canyon pockets, especially yeah. but for the most part it's not that deep there are times it runs fairly clear especially on the, the eastern part of the park and down mm-hmm. into the lower canyons which is mm-hmm. a, a stretch of river that we administer that goes east of the park mm-hmm. and there are times it's quite it's quite muddy it, it mm-hmm. tends to be a, a fairly muddy river but that doesn't because mean it's it's not, shallowness you know, the shallowness and all the, the, the sediment that it transports. That's what I mean. Yeah, it picks up yeah. the sediment because of the shallow. But it's still you know beautiful. What, what is the soil like there? We were just talking earlier over in uh, in the Amazon area between um, Brazil and Uganda, uh, um, the soil, and it was just fascinating. What is the soil like uh, there in, the, in, the, in Big Bend's Mountain Park? Well, that's a, that's another one of those that really varies. We have 19 at least soil types here, which is a lot of different mm-hmm. soil types, and some of it is 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 very rocky. It's called desert pavement. It, it, it's it's fairly sterile, and then others of it is is class two farmland. It's loamy soil in places where it gathers in the the riverbeds and basins, mm-hmm. and it's kind of everything in between. We have limestone mm-hmm. soils, uh, igneous or volcanic soils, mm-hmm. and, and pretty much everything in between. And what you what kind of soil you have really determines um, what kind of plants and animals you find. Exactly. That's exactly. Um, now, your weather uh, there in the area, what is the time, what is happening there today? Uh, do you have uh, extreme heat or is it still not hot yet? It's, it varies again. The park has so much elevation change in the low elevations, which is along the river, as you would expect, about 2,000 feet above sea level, it's, it's warm. It'll be 100, 105 in that, in that mm-hmm. range and, and obviously quite sunny. Mm-hmm. Um, mid-elevation, the grasslands around the, the center of the park will be in the 90s. They're mm-hmm. a little bit higher, about 3,700 feet. Then the real beauty is the mountains. Right in the center of the park is an entire mountain range, the Chisos mm-hmm. Mountains, and they start at about 5,400 feet, the elevation. And what type of trees do they have on them? Pretty much anything you can think of. Oak, oh, maple, and pine, and Arizona cypress, and Oh, okay, I'll think I'm coming from Oregon. The redwood trees. <laughs> we don't have redwoods, but we have you know pretty I'm much teasing. everything like oak and maple and pine up there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that goes up to almost eight thousand feet, and so all summer long it's in the eighties up there, and it's really pleasant. There's oh. lots of shade on the trails. How beautiful and lots of hiking. Now, are there park rangers? There are. There's park rangers. And what park about a park program? ranger junior program for the kids to go? A lot of the parks that we've had on have said they have like a junior. Uh, trip where the kids can have a junior uh, uh, hiking. Do you have anything like that? We do. We have a junior ranger program. It's it's extensive. It's an activity-based program, mm-hmm. and that's available year-round. And we offer interpretive programs with rangers, hiking programs like you mm-hmm. described, year-round. We're, we are a year-round oh. park because of the, the mountains really keeping it pleasant in the summer. People 
who aren't visiting us in the summer because they think we're hot. You know, the, the, the river is hot, but the mountains are not. And it's really a great time to visit, and it's lesser visited. Unlike most parks, which are relatively crowded in the summer, we're relatively um, uncrowded in the summer, and it's a great time to come. Now, what about the winter? You said year-round. We are more busy in the winter. Um, the real southern parks, you know, the ones that are found all along the southern border, tend to be busier in the wintertime, and we oh. are too. Busier is relative. We're still a big place with a lot of room. But Now, I lost you there. Uh, I never thought of it because I'm in Oregon, and our parks are not as busy in the winter because of the extreme winter. So what are your, what's the weather like in the winter? In the, in the low areas where I was telling you it's 105 today, it'll probably be 50 to 80, depending on the day. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really, really, really pleasant down oh along goodness. the river. So people so, year-round can go and enjoy yeah. the nature of what you offer. All the desert becomes open to people in the wintertime to safely hike and enjoy. It's really pleasant. It's mm-hmm. really wild and beautiful. Now, what kind of wildlife do you have there? It's, it's, almost, it's almost too many to name. We have a lot of the big animals people would be familiar with, mountain lions, bears. Um, we have deer and mm-hmm. even some elk, some of the things that people think of as, quote, traditional wildlife. We have mm-hmm. some things people don't think of, collared peccaries or javelina, which is a, an animal that looks a little like a pig. It's actually a peccary. Mm-hmm. We have fox and coyote in abundance mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Uh, badger and, and raccoon and just... Probably no end of uh, birds. Really no end of birds. This is by far the best birding park in terms of sheer numbers with over 450 species seen. Oh, my goodness. Uh, including a lot of rarities. Uh, a lot of other things that people you know, wouldn't, wouldn't even think of, like porcupine are here. Who would think of porcupine in the desert? But mm-hmm. a great variety of wildlife, bighorn sheep and... Mm-hmm. Now, let's say, a person come, let's say a person comes and they would love to have it be organized uh, to come. Uh, give us a site, uh, a website address that they could come and learn how to organize a trip. Fortunately, come. that's easy. They would go to our website, which is mm-hmm. www.nps, stands for National Park Service, dot gov, G-O-V, mm-hmm. a forward slash, and then B-I-B-E. Mm-hmm. Now, are there camping gra- a lot of camping grounds? We have three main developed camping grounds uh, mm-hmm. with several hundred sites combined, and then we have another hundred plus sites in the backcountry people can drive to without amenities to get that wild experience under the stars. Mm-hmm. And we have backcountry and cross-country camping, which is limitless. And there's water. Is there those camping grounds were chosen to be um, built there at that spot because there's water. There is water available at the three main camping grounds, okay. as well as, as bathrooms at two of them, and uh, mm-hmm. and barbecue tables and picnic tables and such. And they have to barbecue. register, so that everybody's registered with a certain number that can be in there a day. That is that is correct. And uh-huh. the only time that becomes an issue is, is the very busiest holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, and, and then people would want to call for a reservation ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Our website has over 850 pages, and mm-hmm. if people want information and want to be organized, there is there is mm-hmm. almost no end to the amount of information on there, including how to get camping. Now, the lodge, uh, how many people can stay at the lodge? It'll, it has 72 rooms, and if, when you consider that some of those are double occupancy or more, then you know, it's probably a couple hundred. Oh, okay. And there are other hotels on the, on the border of the park on the west side. There's a now, how far away is the border? Well, the border is literally a mile from the border on the west side is where the hotels begin that are outside the park. Oh, that isn't very far at all. No, it's not very far at all. And there's and what's the name of the community there. where those are at? That's Studio Butte Terlingua. They're the, the nearest community to the park. And then there's a couple others to the north. Marathon is a community to the north that has a, a historic hotel. And then Alpine, Texas, to the north. Mm-hmm. West has a number of hotels. And then there are other communities a little further out, Marfa, Texas, and then Presidio, mm-hmm. are, are all within reach of this park. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and they have uh, uh, all paved roads going in and out. All of those are paved, yeah. yeah. And then within the park, there are also unpaved roads that want for people that want to bring a four wheel drive or a, just mm-hmm. an SUV and get out in the back country and experience, you know, the night stars mm-hmm. and the big Texas sky. Oh my goodness! Doesn't it sound like therapy, Stan? Stan, when was the last time you way. went there? I mean, you went to just relax. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I hike almost every weekend here. Oh my goodness! One of the benefits of living here is that oh. you get. Oh, and do you go out. fishing? I don't fish generally anymore, although some folks do. I, I tend to hike and bird watch. You want to hike and, and bird watch? Tend to. I, I fish a little, but not as much as I used to. Uh huh. And is there good fishing over there? There is, if you know where. The Rio Grande uh-huh. has has deep pockets for those that want to want to look for them uh, in the canyons, and people still do fish on the Rio Grande, especially on the lower sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catfishing has always been the popular thing on the Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. Ooh, doesn't it sound. Uh, uh, Welcoming. <laughs> it is. A lot of folks really look at this as their, their yearly getaway from it and revitalize. I was just there and did a TV show in Dallas and then one in um, Houston. So how far are you, how far was I away? Because I don't have a map in front of me. Driving uh, about 10 hours from 10 hours. those cities. Those cities are on the other side of the state. Okay, so, so you're uh, on the uh, east side? We're we're the extreme southwest side. Southwest, and they're, and they're the east side. And Texas okay. is a big state. Oh, However, is it ever big? Most of our visitors do come from the four big Texas cities, which is San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, and Austin. Yeah, most. did you know that um, Lubbock, Texas, El Paso, El Paso, Midland, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. Um, then we've got Amarillo. Are some of the driest. Spots out of twenty dry spots in the whole United States for the eyes. Yeah, yeah, that that was a, a research project that we did not long ago, and that was one of the reasons I was doing the TV shows, as we were discussing dry eye, and every five seconds somebody goes blind in the world. It's the worst uh, problem uh, there is of dry eye for every doctor of all doctor of medical practice, and you're living in a state that's just absolutely extensive, but it is very dry. Well, certainly the southwest part of it and the west part of it is is relatively dry. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it has its advantages too, and even when it's 105 here, it's it's a dry heat. You know, it is a dry heat, and um, yes, it is. And people have to realize, even if there's humidity in the air, that is forcing an issue. It isn't the moisture that you is healthier for your eyesight and your skin and your health is almost the kind of moisture you don't even feel it's there. Yeah. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. I really did appreciate it. I know our listeners will. And uh, is there anything you'd like to close with the listeners to know before we say goodbye? Only that this is a truly unique, beautiful place to come and uh-huh. relax. Hit our website. It will give folks just enormous amounts of information and choices on what they might do here. Well, Stan, I want to thank you. We just had Stan Brock with us with the Texas uh, group. I mean, Dave. Uh, Dave, you know, I owe you an apology. Our former guest was Stan. Dave, uh, we just had Dave with us, and I'm glad I thought of that quickly enough, Dave, uh, that you were with us to give us more education on our Texas park system and the uniqueness. And what I found, Dave, is the the year-round. That is very common in this country. We usually have a park system where you can only go with certain times a year. At least um, activities, that's probably true. We're, pretty much everything is open here year-round. Mm-hmm. And then folks would also find a lot to do in our neighboring communities, restaurants and music and hotels and 
shopping and such. So mm-hmm. there's lots of things to consider here, depending on a person's interests. Well, Dave, thank you uh, for being with us from the Big Bend National Park in Texas. And uh, if you ever think of something that's going on that you'd like our listeners to know about, be sure and give us a call. Will do. Thank you for having me. You have a nice day. You too. Bye, David. Bye-bye. Well, I apologize. His name is David Elkowitz, and he is with the Big Bend National Park in Texas. Wasn't that exciting? Now, we're starting something new that is very exciting that I want you to listen to before we go. Go green for your health. Improve your own personal environment wherever you go. That means be proactive for your own preservation. Learn everything you can. And because eyes are so important to all of us, your vision, your health, and your outlook, make sure you're learning more about how to take better care of your eyes every day. If you know of a new baby born, make sure that baby within six months has their first eye checkup. Life on Earth is the water. It's a species, and it is endangered. Don't let anybody tell you it isn't. Reservoirs are a thought because if you haven't had a reservoir for a long time, you may have a body drought, not just your earth drought, because you won't have the water and you won't have sanitation. Think about hundreds of years to come. My mission, our mission together on on the air with this show, is getting you seriously thinking. Generations to come. Here, all over the world, we need to learn to preserve what we have for the future. Don't go to your neighbors and say, I I didn't plan for the future. I want to plan now. So think about it. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life, your life, every precious moment. And then Earth is whispering, never say goodbye. Have a nice day. 